The way to think differently is to act differently and get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals into actionable strategies you can use to think big, start small, and learn fast, and find your edge with excellence. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. So I'm delighted to have um, Melissa Perry on the show here. Great to have you, Melissa. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here. Uh, we share so many great things. Uh, we've written books together. We've published them on the same day. Yep. <laughs> We're, I'm, I'm a big fan of your work anyway. So I'm a big fan of yours. <laughs> so it's great to be here uh, and have you on the podcast uh, and hear some of your stories. I think you've done so many interesting things, how you've grown into your career, into your business. Uh, you know, I think it's been a great story. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit, you know, how did you go from you know, where you were to today now running and growing a, a business that's teaching product managers how to be chief product managers and start to champion this product management thinking through the whole industry? Yeah. So um, I, I kind of I fell into product management, which is the name of the game, I think, for everybody. But I, when I was in school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was looking around. Um, I was taking something called operations research engineering courses at Cornell. And when I'm looking for a job, I, I was going, I don't really know what I want to do with this. Like People were going to go to Wall Street and work in finance, and I didn't really want to do that. I really liked the tech side. Um, and then a lot of other people were going to work on, at like Pepsi on manufacturing lines, optimizing it. All the lovely lean stuff we now know, um, putting that to good use. And I didn't want to work in a factory. Uh, I had tried a, a little internship in chemical engineering. I hated it. I hated being in a lab. So I was trying to figure out what can I do to work with people. And one of my friends sent me a job description for a developer. So they said, why don't you come, you know, you took coding classes. Um, I knew how to code. I took all of data structures and algorithms, all that wonderful stuff in school. Uh, why don't you come be a developer here at Capital IQ? And I said, no, it's not really what I want to do. What else you got? <laughs> and the, that's all they were sitting around was hiring developers. And he was like, oh, just talk to our hiring manager. So he put me in touch uh, with Rob, who was there, who was the head of database at the time in charge of hiring these guys. And he said, oh, well, what do you like doing? And I, I said, well, I can code. I don't really like coding. Like, I don't like the act of coding. Um, I like working with people. And I also am doing design as well. So I worked at uh, the marketing department at Cornell. I used to make everybody's like flyers and photo and, you know, I've seen all your design things. work, it, even in your slides. It's pretty amazing. Ah, thanks. Yeah. Now I get all my design work out on my slides <laughs> with my cats. So <laughs> I um, so I was doing Photoshop, all that. I really like designs. I wasn't formally trained in it, though. I said, I, I want to I don't know what marries those things. And he was like, oh, if you can Photoshop and you're technical and you like that, why don't you come here and be what we call a business analyst? Um, and I said, sounds great. Nobody really knew what I did at the time. Like, I try to explain my work to people, and they're like, "Oh, business analyst. That's that's kind of like this, this, and this over at J.P. Morgan." And you know, we're we're really responsible for the analysis and all this stuff. And I said, "That's not really what I do. Um, I, I I don't do quite that." So it turns out the role that we did at Capital IQ was called a business analyst because it came from finance, but we were a software company. But it's very much product management. 
Uh, and when I started seeing the job descriptions for product management, I went, oh, that's that's me, right? In these software companies, that's what I did there. It wasn't like the business analysts at other places. Um, so anyway, I went to, to Barclays. I became a developer for a little bit. Uh, I hated it immediately. Two yeah. weeks in, I, I was trying to get out. Ones and zeros all day? All day. I did, like, it was, it was, I had to learn, like, a proprietary language for, for these databases. And it was all back-end stuff. And I'm a very visual person. So not being able to see that work was not the type of problems that I like solving. And there was no room, really, for front-end engineers at the time in the type of departments we worked in. So I weaseled my way back into product management. So again, called business analyst there. And they were trying to tell me, you have to be here for seven to 10 years before you could be a business analyst. And I was like, screw that. Um, and I just you know, kept bugging people until they let me start doing that work. I was like, I'll keep coding, but I, I wanna go do that. I wanna go sit with the people on the trading floor, learn what they're doing, figure out you know, how to build it, make it better and all that. So I eventually left there and started doing that full-time because I realized I just didn't wanna code anymore. Um, I went to a place called OpenSky, which was an e-commerce, very different than finance. And that's really was a defining moment where I started to learn more about modern product management and really test a lot of what I teach now. And it's where I think I grew the most in my career because I, I experimented with everything, all different ways of working, how to work, um, and really learned what I teach now. So went to OpenSky, went to a couple other places after that. Um, and at OpenSky, my boss really pushed me into teaching the way that I did product management. He said, nobody's really experimenting. They're not doing these types of work. Go go teach them. And he, he really encouraged me to get out there, teach on Skillshare, go do talks. So I got invited to go speak at Lean UX about my type of product management. I called it Lean Product Management at the time. So I went out there and I started doing talks. And uh, people asked me to keep talking, which was really cool. And uh, I so then I turned that into workshops. So I started doing that on the side. Um, I was still working full time. And then I tried to go to... Italy for a startup accelerator and start my own company there. Um, it was a mess, but I, I kept doing the talks. And when I came back from Italy, um, I was looking around to really go into like a product leadership position. Uh, and everywhere I went, nobody really understood what product did. Right. And yeah. that frustrated me. So I said, you know, I'm going to teach people how to do this. And that's really what started with the consulting. So I started off with just me um, doing a lot more product management teaching. And then as I got into the companies and started training the product managers, they'd come back to me and be like, well, we're not allowed to do this stuff you're teaching me. So what now? So then I, I went to the next people and the next level. And I just kept going until now where I work mostly with C-suite uh, members and our whole company does uh, product transformations. So we help companies that traditionally haven't been oriented towards product or software turn into a product organization or on the other side, we help growth stage companies scale their product organizations so that they can maintain their growth and, and scale in a good way where they can really foster that environment and help people be experimental and learn about their customers and really ship products that are awesome. So the thing I really love, even just listening to your stories, is you just have this sort of innate ability that you will see problems and then you'll just try lots of things to try and mm -hmm. address those problems. And then, you know, you'll, you'll get curious again or you seem to get bored and then you've got to go look for the next problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, th I think it's a very intuitive thing to, for you. But, you know, for listeners to understand, like, there's a very deliberate way you're going about it. Mm -hmm. Right. You just you have a knack, so to speak, to recognize where there are problems and then just try things. 
and not be afraid. You've done this on yourself, right? You've tried many different careers. You've gone from designing to engineering to product management to all these different po- points along the way. I think it's kind of interesting to recognize that. But I'm always interested for you. Like, what what do you think were some of your key unlearning moments? Where- yeah, um, there was quite a few. I, I think I'm always fascinated with as well, like the bigger picture, right? So, so for me, it's about I like I like finding tricky problems to solve. So it's always about what's what's the bigger problem? What's the bigger problem? And I like to go go to the source. So uh, I've always been kind of tracing that down, but. I feel like when you when you start out, especially as I was like as a you know lowly product manager or like the first person on the team, not knowing what I'm doing, your sphere of knowledge of how much you actually know about things is is limited. So I'd want to solve those problems, and then when you get there, you go up a level, right? And now you are aware of all these other problems, and then you're like, let me tackle that problem, and then just keep going. So for me, it's always about getting to the the highest problem, like the root cause, or where or where you can go there. And sometimes it's not always a root cause, but Along the way, I think I've taught myself or I've unlearned a lot of things. So I started off with product management at um, Capital IQ, and we followed a very waterfall style of product management, which wasn't bad. Like we, we love to knock waterfall and say it's terrible. But honestly, I, I've learned, and this is like a fascinating thing, I've trained a lot of people who have not come from that background, um, who, who haven't done anything with software and got thrown in. And what waterfall taught me was, um, to deliberately think through how this should work, right? Get into all the details and do that. And it's way too much when you work with somebody, but learning that just from the ground up, I think was really valuable because now I know that type of working. And once I became really good at that, I, I started to experience problems with my team and that was my impetus to unlearn that way of working. So when I ended up at OpenSky, I started working with my team and these developers and before at, at banks, like I feel like this is a bad thing to say, but like there's no urgency at banks when you work there or at these types of companies to get things done sometimes. So when you do waterfall style development, you're like, okay, sweet, like ship it off and we'll see what happens. Um, <laughs> and when it was like, there, there are definitely deadlines. For me, I didn't have that kind of urgency when I worked at a bank. When I got to a startup, it was like, all right, you gotta ship this tomorrow. Wait, what? What do you mean I have to ship this tomorrow? Like I haven't even had time to think about it. We, what? So there, there was always a sense of urgency. So we, I started doing, they, they told me to come in and like do the type of product management I've been doing. I was hired because I had done waterfall style product management. I started specking everything out. I started um, really figuring out like what to do. And then I sent them off to this team and they came back the next day and they built it and it looked absolutely nothing like I prescribed to them. And I'm like, what is going on here? And they were like, like, didn't you read these things? And they were like, oh, that? No, I didn't read that at all. Um, like, it was way too long. I don't have time to read that. Like, we got to get this out the door. And also, like, you're crazy for thinking that you could just send like a 40-page spec to me and I'm going to go through every detail. That's insane. So that made me start going, okay, problem. <laughs> How am I working with this team now? And start to try to figure out different ways to work together. So we got... We, it was hard for a while. Like I, I was just kind of like, you should just do my work. We're like, why, why are you doing this? Right, you're hanging on to the behaviors that had made you successful yeah. in the last role. Exactly. Like I, I was praised for writing those spec docs. So Best I was specs like, we've ever seen. Exactly. They were so detailed. Meticulous, perfect. Beautiful specs. Like <laughs> I, got, I got a lot of praise for writing perfect spec docs. And I took that with me. I was like, that's who I am. I'm going to be the spec doc writing person. Um, 
And so when I got to this team, I was like, oh crap, like what do I do now? How, how am I supposed to do my work? And um, I started thinking about it and I'm like, well, if I wanna be successful. And I think what always drives me is like, I, at that time it was all about being the best product manager I could be, being really successful. Right, like that's your outcome. Yeah. yeah, that was my outcome. And I said, I gotta change my way of working to, to go back and figure out how to work with this team. So I, we had somebody on the team at the time actually who said, Hey, like I've tried, we tried this thing. It's called Scrum. We want to, we want to give it a go. It's supposed to make you guys work better together. And <laughs> we were like, sure. Honestly, at this point, we were like at each other's throats, and yeah. nothing was getting done. And you know, everybody's like, "Where's, where's my product? Where's my product? What's, what's happening? What's happening?" Uh, and you know, the team was like thirty people at the time. That company, while I was there, ended up going from thirty people to one hundred and fifty. So it was like rapid growth, rapid like acceleration for this. We were raising tons of money, growing the team like crazy. So we didn't have the luxury of, you know, waiting around and figuring it out. So I flew down to, my boss told me to fly down to Nashville, um, flew down to Nashville, met with the team. We started learning about each other as human beings rather than just, you know, developers that you ship things off to. Um, went to karaoke, had a great time. And uh, we started implementing this thing called Scrum. And it was really, really lightweight at the time. We'd just get into rooms and talk about what is our work? What are we going to do? And we were breaking it down together. Those meetings took forever at the beginning. And then we'd start talking to each other more during stand-ups and all this stuff. So we had a very light Scrum implementation when we started. We weren't using story points. We weren't going crazy with anything like that. Um, and it made us better. And I got my specs down to like two pages and then I got them down into JIRA tickets and then they went away, right? And I, I'd make like um, a little document to keep track of everything that we were working on and pull the vision together. But for the developers, everything lived in JIRA and they never had to worry about reading 40 page specs. So we started doing awesome work then. And we became really productive. Like my team was great and everybody was so proud of us and we, we did really, really good work. But then my next unlearning moment came because we did this really big project um, at OpenSky and we shipped it. And it was supposed to be um, like a dashboard and business, a way to run your business for the curators who were our sellers on the site. Mm -hmm. So they would pick out things to sell, we'd split the profits for them, and then we'd put it out to our audience. And we wanted to tell them like how much money you're making, what are the products you're selling, all this stuff so they could go promote it. And we spent three months building that and we put it out and nobody used it. And we used Scrum, we used all that stuff, like, but nobody used it. And that was my second, like I was, I was having kind of a crisis then. And I was like, well, if nobody's using our stuff, then like, how do I be a good product manager, right? What, what's, what's my purpose here? And at the time, um, we had a couple people going to lean startup machine work, workshops from the company. They had just started really early days for them. Um, and I was like, I wanna go. This sounds like they're having a great time. And my boss was like, yeah, sure. You want to spend a weekend at a, at a conference, have fun. <laughs> and so I went and it blew my mind because I felt like it was such a logical framework and process for thinking about my work. And of course they were talking about startups, but I saw it as like, oh, but this is what I do every day. Like I try to, I try to build things people use. How do I take these and incorporate it into my work as a product manager? So I came back and I, I was like, can I experiment? And they were like, yeah, sure. Like whatever, do it. <laughs> and I got free reign to run all these experiments, which were really, really cool. And um, some of them I learned later, like actually pivoted the company. And those weren't like conversations that happened with me at the time, but they ended up like turning around the entire shape of OpenSky as we knew it. And now um, they just got acquired by Alibaba a couple months ago in the new form of what it is. And that's their US arm. So 
it's pretty cool to think like I had that kind of impact. I didn't know it at the time. And, you know, this was, uh, you know, 2012-ish around that time. Well, well, I think the one thing you though, in all these stories you're sharing, is you always recognize when things aren't working. Yeah. And you're comparing it against what you believe good looks like. Mm -hmm. You know, and that, that's such a great uh, mechanism or signal to help you think that the current behaviors the team they're using to drive the results you want are not working and we need to change. Yep. You know, and then, and what I keep hearing then is when you recognize that issue, the next thing you seem to do is try something different or look for alternative things to what you're doing before or you're curious to try out these different methods, whether it's investing only a weekend and going to a, a startup uh, event to figure out how people launch businesses over a weekend mm -hmm. to find down to Nashville and learning about another a new process that helps teams work together. You seem to be willing to, you know, try stuff that mightn't be familiar to see if it's useful and help you pass through. Yeah. So how do you cultivate that in yourself? Yeah, I I've never been afraid of that. I, I don't I don't know. I don't really know where that came from. I will say no, I think it's actually learned. I'm, I'm thinking back now. So I used to be like the most high strung, afraid of failure person in the world. Um, and especially when I was in school, like you gave me a standardized test, I'd freak out, I'd have panic attacks. Like I didn't want to fail things. And uh, when I was in college, like I actually started failing uh, calculus and like like I ever use that again, but like scared the crap out of me. I was I was so nervous. I was freaking out. But I think coming out of that on the other side and realizing like, you know, if I get a B, if I get a C, like whatever, as long as I pass, um, kind of inspired a little bit more of this confidence in me that was like, whatever, right? Like it's not the end of the world and you can keep going. And I think you need to kind of reflect on your, your I reflect on, my past stuff and I just kind of say like, hey, we're gonna try something new and if it doesn't work, you can always change it. And that's always been my mindset and my mentality when it comes to everything. So I, I think sometimes in like, I, I know people who get like really wrapped up that every decision that they make or anything that they try is set in stone, right? It's it's something that has an impact and I think in, in companies we get really, we get really wrapped up into that and about the risk and the legal and all these wonderful things which, which are needed but a lot of those things are not like what you do is actually not impacting some of that stuff as much as you really think it's going to. Uh, and that's what I really try to ground on. So I always whenever I do something, I always assess risk. I'm not like I'm actually not like a super high risk taker. I'm a, a pretty like I think being an entrepreneur and like starting your own business and stuff is pretty risky. But um, but there's things where I'm pretty risk adverse to certain stuff. And it and what I do is I logically just think out like, What's the worst that can happen if this if this doesn't work out? And with every problem that I've encountered along the way, and you realize that like a lot of the options are low risk. They're not as high risk as you think they are, and it's worth trying. And if that doesn't work, you just move on to the next one. And having that kind of mindset, I think, really helps you overcome those obstacles. Yeah, and, and I think you're intuitively very good at designing ways to start small and learn fast. Mm -hmm if the risk that you're worried about is manifesting or not. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a it's a controlled way to explore uncertainty, mm -hmm. which, again, seems intuitive to you. Right? Yeah. 
It's the, yeah, everything that I do is like just small little steps. So it's like, what's the first thing that you can do to really try it and see if it works? Um, like we did that even growing like Product Institute, right? It started with like workshops. You'd go to a workshop, you can iterate on it really quickly. Then um, it turned into, okay, I'm saying the same thing over and over in workshops. How do I scale it? Then we turned it into a subset of small videos with the partner that we, we worked with and launched it into their corporation. Uh, and then we tested the the content of the video and then we said that works and then we said okay let's scale it so i feel like everything that you do and that that's kind of that experimental mindset right is how do i just learn a little bit more and more about what works and what doesn't and put like tiny bets in it until you get to this point where you're like oh, i feel pretty confident that this is going to work out and then you make that bet and you go and for me that last bet is always scary like i i'm still dragging my feet on many bets I probably should have taken a very long time ago. But it's it's that getting that confidence, all those small bets, right? They're not scary. They're all like, of course we should do that. That's obvious. Because if you break it down into those small little experiments, they don't seem as big. Right. And it's a cumulative thing. Mm-hmm. And, and actually it becomes exponential as you learn more and more. And then you can go for these bigger bets, which do feel scary to people on the outside watching. But it's interesting for you to share that you're systematically building yourself up to those things. I think people think of experiments like I, so we teach a lot of like product experimentation inside companies. And I see people think of experiments as one and done, right? It's not a system of learning. It's always like, oh, we're running that prototype experiment done and then we'll build it afterwards. And I'm like, but, but what could you do before that? Right? How do you build up to that? So to me, like product management has always been this, this accumulation of knowledge until you make that bet. So it's about like, what experiments can I run? What people can I talk to? What data can I pull? What, like you're just trying to gather as much information and and de-risk your hypothesis as much as possible before you make the big bet. Because when you make that big bet, which is coding that software and releasing it to the world, you now feel like much more confident that it's the right way to go. But I think we, uh, I think like a lot of companies read Lean Startup and stuff like that, and they think like, oh, if I just if I just make this one button on this page, that will be my experiment, and I'll go. And they don't really think about the quality of learning that's associated with those things. So, with this idea of, in some respects, sort of thinking big, starting small, mm-hmm. you know, the danger can be that people might think big, start small, do something small, and think they're done. They can go big. Yeah. H- how do you help people sort of work? maybe backwards or into the thinking big? Like, how do they plot their trajectory to get to the the big bet that they might need to make or the big problem they're trying to solve? Or Mm -hmm. how do you help them understand ways to do that? Yeah, so when we do this in in product-oriented cultures, uh, inside companies, we really always start at the vision and the outcomes that you want to achieve. So um, I see a lot of people actually neglect that. It's been a recent, I, I've been noticing a lot of things lately and it's all buzzing in my head, but the, I've seen people who try to adopt experimentation with absolutely no vision. So I'm like, what are you experimenting on? What's, what's the thing there? So we always start from the end goal and that's always informed by conversations with your customers and the trajectory of your company and you know where the market opportunities are. But if you start at that end goal, that vision, that fuzziness, that that's what we wanna be one day, Um, then you can start to think about the outcomes. So what do we want this to produce? Uh, What's success actually look like? And those are high level, right? They could be success for the business. They could be success for the customers. But what is definitively the thing that makes me go, that was good. That was a good bet. We made a good bet. 
Um, and then we work backwards. So then we go, okay, let's look at what do we have? So what do we, I get people to list out like, what do we know for sure? So what are facts that are there? And then I have them list out questions. What do we not know? And what do we need to learn before we can actually make this bet so that they can start to compare the risk? And if you have a lot of questions, you have a very risky hypothesis. But if you don't have a lot of questions, right, maybe you can move quicker towards that end goal. So then we look at the questions and we figure out what's the smallest thing that we can do, experiment, conversations, whatever it is, pull data to learn the answer to that question. And then we systematically start running through that until we have enough information where we go, okay, this is the direction we should go in. And then we make that bet. And then we start to, even with, we do the same type of thing, even when we put out the first version of the product, what's the smallest amount that we can make that's valuable. That's our first bet. We put that out. Did it work? No. Okay, let's iterate, right? And then we just keep building up from there. So I, I love how you described a system for people. Uh, and I also know you live this system, mm -hmm. even the way that you create content to, to train people on, the way you've created your business. Can you share maybe an example of uh, where you, you know, bringing that sort of system you've described to life in one of those contexts? Yeah, so our system, um, I'll tell you about Product Institute. I started the conversation, but I'll, I'll go, I never actually told this story before, so this is the first time you can learn it. So um, so when we made Product Institute, um, it was it was honestly to solve a problem for myself. I, I couldn't be everywhere at once, and I kept looking around and I said, there's so much content I'm delivering over and over and over again. Um, how do I get a way to, one, scale that so I don't have to travel everywhere, um, and two, I, you get tired of saying that the same things over and over and over again. So I started looking into how do I bring this into um, a course? So first of all, um, oh, let, actually, let me backtrack. So that was my personal problem, but I saw a market problem. I've been teaching pro intro to product management courses. Um, I taught for General Assembly. I taught from a couple different places. And I said, when I was there, I felt like it was a good 101 course. And I think General Assembly is a great 101 course. Um, but I started getting into companies and they were there was nothing for them. It was nothing for like, I'm already a product manager in this position. And I, I know the basics. I know how to turn like a request into a feature, but what's gonna take me to the next level? How do I get experimental? How do I learn about MVPs? How do I do this? So I wanted to create more. So I wanted to give place, uh, people like a 102 type course. That was really the, the drive there. So that was the vision. And originally I saw like places like product school were launching. They had just launched um, some other places. I was looking around and I was thinking, hey, I'm going to do that type of thing in New York. Maybe I'll just teach Tuesdays and Thursdays in New York. So I sent out. Start small. Yeah, start small, right? And um, I had a workshop that I've been doing for clients. So like I had a bunch of that content already broken down. Um, and I sent out a survey to a lot of people who were following my newsletter and Twitter. And I said, what would you like to learn? And I asked him a bunch of questions. Where would you like to take this? And all the I got tons of responses, but a lot of people who responded said, hey, I'm actually in Poland. I can't come to New York. We don't have something in Poland for this. Like, can, can you help? And I went, oh, that's an even more interesting problem than the one I was going to solve, which is like, hey, every, there's a bunch of stuff in New York. Why don't you think about how do you reach people elsewhere? So. That started the course of how do I turn this into an online thing? And that obstacle, now I'm looking at what problem am I facing there? Or what do, don't I know? I don't know how to make an online course. <laughs> I don't know what's going to be fun. Um, and I had done one already on Skillshare. So I did a little tiny one on Skillshare a long time ago. Um, I personally looked back on that and said it was a little boring. And I asked people, like, what's your, what's your 
impact or what, what do you think about online courses? And they say, well, the, most of them are boring. So I made it my goal to say, I'm going to figure out what's not boring as much as I possibly can. And that became my goal, just keep people interested. And I knew I already had the content down because I've been teaching it like crazy, but keep people interested. So then we took, um, so I've been teaching a, a four day in-person workshop uh, for really large banks and stuff uh, and other places on product management. And I knew that was solid. Like they, they liked the content, they knew that was there. Um, so we started thinking about how do we turn that into online modules now? How do we break it down? And um, another bank approached me and said, hey, we wanna make an online training for product managers. And I was like, well, that's literally what I'm doing right now. Do you wanna partner on this? And they said, yeah, like let's let's make a couple and see how it goes. So we did a two-person in-day training. Um, and then we did, we followed it up by together working on um, a, a couple modules that we could distribute through online training. And we did a ton of research. Um, we were like, we, it has to be short, it has to be engaging, it has to be funny. So we we pulled all the things together, our hypothesis of what we think would make that. And then we we got a film crew in there um, and we started recording them. And uh, you know, a couple things flew around there. You know, they were trying to save budget too. And they were going, hey, can we do this on mobile phones? Like MVP it, right? Like, let's just do it on mobile phones. And I said, no, we know that people like the content. So what are you actually testing on a mobile phone video? Are you testing the content or the delivery? What are we trying to test here? And they said, it's actually the delivery. So we said, okay, so if we're gonna do the delivery, we gotta do it well. What keeps people engaged? Like we did this research, what are we testing here? And we went, okay, yeah, so let's scope it down, do a couple videos instead of all the videos and just try the delivery professionally on a couple different, like I think we did six, six videos just to try. There's over like 20 something in the, in the course now. So we recorded them, we put them out and we got feedback and people loved them. They were like, this is hilarious, this is awesome, this is fantastic. Um, I, and we had the agreement where I could keep the videos and distribute them afterwards and you know do that. So we we talked about making the whole program, that entire company reorged. <laughs> so I said, I'm gonna go create um, Product Institute and do the whole program like we were talking about. They said, that's great, we'll buy it from you later. Um, it's probably easier for us that way. And so I went and I started doing Product Institute. So we started putting it together piece by piece. And along the way, as we made more videos, we would um, sell them as part of training packages too. So we didn't have to sell the whole enchilada, we'd sell like a few of them at a time and get more feedback on that and more feedback. And then I had to learn how to do it myself instead of having a film crew there. Um, and then we were getting near launch and I said, how do I make sure that we're actually gonna make money? And we put out a pre-sale. So we gave a discount, we put out a pre-sale and we had something like 50 people sign up in about a week. Um, collected the money, knew that we were gonna get the money. And then when we launched, a lot more people came up, um, but we also tested it with them and we refined it. And then from then on, we've been refining our approach with it. What's the right content? We're in, we're making a lot more content for it right now, um, but how do we engage with students? How do we find like a community for it? How do we build it? How do we alter our content depending on what types of customers we get into it? So from there, it's just been kind of a, a learning journey, but it didn't start off as like, let's build a whole school and I just went heads down and like built a whole school. We just took like piece by piece learning it and shipping it along the way and and trying new things and figuring out what works and what didn't. But the whole story illustrates this pattern that you continuously keep doing, right? Like mm -hmm. you have a fuzzy idea of where you're aiming for, but you have some outcomes and you're starting small and constantly testing whatever mm -hmm. you create to get feedback to see is it driving the results you want? And even when you get surprises, you see how you can incorporate that to what you're doing and it helps you navigate your next step. Yep. 
you know, and, and again, I think it illustrates this point when you share uh, such a great story like that, mm-hmm. that when people go, wow, how do you start this product institute school that you've de-risked it along the way through all these small experiments that you have done, but they're they're building to something. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're listening and you're learning and you're adapting based on what you're doing and you're you're trying things you hadn't done before, and, but you're being clear on the questions you're trying to answer. like. Even your simple point about are we testing delivery or the content here, like getting specific on those things is, is I think, a really great mechanism to have. It's deliberate experimentation, what you're doing. Um, and the videos are great, too, as well. They're fun <laughs> to watch. So it's uh, pretty amazing. Thanks. Yeah. So I guess the, the other question I'd love to ask, especially with product uh, management, you know, wh- where do you see as an as an industry? I think we need to unlearn. Uh, like product management is still in many ways sort of uh, a skill that is emergent in our industry it's Mm -hmm. there's not many job descriptions on what it does and again you've seen that problem and you're sort of responding with your current uh, business to try and create and and coach this discipline of chief product officers of the future Mm -hmm. and what are your thoughts on what unlearning needs to happen potentially in the industry so much um (laughs) so we have we have like so I, I think there's two different cases for I see two different companies and we we, uh, we work with both sides, but there are companies that uh, software is their product, right? And they they're growing up. We work with a lot of growth stage companies with um, inside venture partners and software is their product there primarily. And then we have a lot of industries like banks where software was not their product, right? It was it was not primarily there. Um, and I think they have different things to unlearn in both. But it's really interesting. There's still with the the growth stage type companies, right? They're still learning what it means to be product in the C-suite. So they're 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 unlearning. They used to think of product managers as like the people who would just write all the features and like keep the backlogs full. Um, the most the first hire of any kind of startup is usually like the person the CEO can dictate to and like let it go. And then they're not really sure what like what to do with the product managers there so they might promote them or move them up into other roles but they don't really have a solid thinking about what product is and how does that scale so for us it's really teaching those um those types of companies right that product is a critical component that really ties everything in your company together it looks at sales to figure out like how do we start commercializing our roadmaps it looks at marketing to figure out do we have our value propositions up it works with tech to figure out you know What's the cost of actually maintaining our products? How do we actually scale them? How do we deliver them? What's, um, you know, do we have to work on tech debt? Do we have to replatform this? It works with UX to make sure there's a great experience. It works with the, you know, the financial sides. It, it really, it's like the glue that goes between everything and pulls it all together. So it's a very strategic position. And I think uh, those companies need to learn that uh, product is, is strategy, right? It helps you with your strategy. It's what's going to help you run and scale your company. And... Uh, a lot of them see it instead as a very tactical role, which it is at, a, at lower levels, but at higher levels, right? It's a key strategy position that can take all that together and figure out how do you scale, right? How do we grow this product? How do we go into a portfolio line or expand geographically? So there's still a lot, um, a lot there. But since product is, uh, since software is their business, I think it's easier for them to to orient around that. Whereas you look at the larger companies that we work with. Um, we're out there wildly successful, right? They've been around for 40. Some of the companies we worked with have been around for 200 years, 300 years. Like it, it goes back all the way. And 
those companies didn't grow up software. Like software wasn't their product. So now they have to unlearn all the things that got them successful over the last 200 years. That's a lot of baggage, right? And think about how do we become successful in this day and age and scale? So product is really immature in that industry because um, it wasn't there before, right? Like they didn't get there through product. Whereas a lot of the growth stage companies, even if it was the founder doing it, somebody was doing product. And in this case, um, it's a little bit more, a lot of these companies are service oriented or they scale through people rather than software. So they don't see software as their product. They don't see it as the thing that's gonna make them successful. So they have to unlearn all that behavior, right? And go back to the beginning and say, okay, new vision for this company, new, new way of thinking, new outcomes, what are we oriented towards and how do we get behind that? And even in those companies, product is still a very strategic position. It's seen as super tactical. Nobody really knows what product does there. Um, the case that I always see is that a company adopts an agile mentality, whatever you want to think of that as. But uh, what really happens is they just say, hey, everybody's going to use Scrum. And now we've got 350 to 1,000 product owners. What do we do with them? And you, you have to rethink your entire business. It's not just about implementing Scrum on it. It's about thinking about what do we really do? What are our products and services? What are our portfolios? Who can help us grow those? So who should we put over those who is really going to manage it like its own little business? Who's going to help us grow those? How do we align that to the top? How do we align that back to our services and our vision of our company? So it's really rethinking your entire company. It's rethinking how do you scale now, not through people, but through software, which is a different model and what these are all going towards. So um, and that that's the way I think you, you can, like everybody wants to be a startup, right? And everybody's talking about, not necessarily be a startup, but- Well, they just sound cool, right? They sound cool. They're, they got ping pong tables. So <laughs> everybody wants Foosball this, tables. Foosball, everything. They got all the games. And I hear companies say, we want, we want to be an enterprise at startup speed. And the way the startups win is that they realize that they're scaling efficiently through products and software and not by, you know, hiring 45,000 people to do the work. So they're really taking the time because they have to at that stage, right? To figure out what's going to help us scale and what's going to give us the momentum to go. They don't have a choice. Um, but enterprises have, you know, tons and tons of money. And sometimes they don't make that choice. They don't try to make those choices. So I think there's, there's some of that to it. So that's what the product mentality is about. It's about really prioritizing and figuring out how do we scale what we're doing through desirable products, desirable software and services. You're always going to have services in those companies too, which is totally fine. But how do we scale what we're doing efficiently and be able to make changes to that to deliver it to a customer super quickly and marry the services into a desirable package for people? And that, that's what product managers do. Yeah, I think this idea of uh, desirability of products and focusing around that is super interesting. Yeah. Uh, because software allows you to scale potentially infinitely in a mm -hmm. very low cost. And I think when you have this discipline instilled, like you're saying in, in a lot of these startup companies that are product led from the start and then use technology to scale their business, that's where they're sort of challenging all of the incumbent sort of businesses who have scale of people, volume. Yep. They're used to building a moat around their business and protecting it. Mm -hmm. And I think technology. You know, the problems sort of remain the same, but technology changes how you solve those problems. Yeah. And I think product managers, as you're saying, are one of these key people who have a, a lot of influence and skills to bear mm -hmm. in that space. 
And I think they're they're the ones who are always looking at like what can we do better for our customers, right? Like how can we expand this? How can we push this? How can we do that? Um, but also keeping it realistic, right? There's always two sides to it: it's the customers and the business. So they're beholden to both. And since they sit in the middle there, they're thinking about how do I maximize both of those things: customer delight and you know, and valuable stuff for the customer, but also valuable things for our business. What's going to drive us forward? Sounds like a pretty demanding role. It's a very demanding role. <laughs> so as you're looking ahead now, what are what are some of the things that are on the roadmap for you? Oh, What's the so many things? Um, so we are working on expanding Product Institute, which I'm very excited about um, to launch something new. Uh, we are. I'll tell you more details about it as it gets firmer. Um, so I'm excited about that. And we are, yeah, so we, we've been um, also training chief product officers. That's a new thing that's, that's happened recently. So uh, we started a partnership with Insight Venture Partners, and we are um, hiring on their full-time employees, uh, very talented VPs of product and SVPs of product, and helping them get to the C-suite uh, for growth stage companies. So we are training that, advising that. Um, we're helping with a lot of large product transformations inside other companies, too. Uh, so lots of stuff going on. I'm I'm really excited about just that. I'm I'm very driven by like how do we just make the industry of product management better and more mature so that all the product managers can go find a home and feel like they can thrive. Well, I'm excited to see both what you're going to learn and unlearn and relearn and all these great breakthroughs I'm sure you're going to have over the months and years ahead. Thanks very much for being part of the podcast. It was great to have you here. Thanks for having me.